Hi, hello, how are you? Yeah, doing well, me too. I'm really, oh yeah? Oh really? Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. Um, anyway, so it's just me tonight on the old pod. Uh, it's snowpocalypse, the city is shut down. Um, no homies are getting nowhere. Uh, so I am going to go ahead and walk you through all of the movies that I've watched recently. Um, um, I have an account on this website called Letterboxd. Uh, if you are into movies and you want to uh, homie out with homies about movies, uh, it's pretty good. It's like the Goodreads version of um, Goodreads, but for movies instead of books. Uh, you can follow homies when a homie watches a movie and gives a review. You can see it. You can see when they did the shit. You can also keep a diary of all the things you've watched and rate movies and all this shit. You know, it's just nice to be able to log all the films I've seen, you know, according to letterbox it's at 1300 but um <laughs> i mean it's got to be more than that anyway uh it's usually i watch a movie uh and then i write down like a one sentence review um so i guess i'm just gonna go through what i've watched recently and read the review and then kind of give you my two cents on it um and if that sounds brutal then turn the pot off now and i respect you and i still love you and care for you and i hope that everything in your life is going well and i want everything in the world that's best to happen to you. Okay, now if you're still listening, another note is that while I'm in grad school, you know, it's hard to do pods. The homies are all busy too, getting pods together. Mostly what I do is I study, I do homework, I take exams. I took one earlier this evening, but thankfully uh, everything is completely shut down. So day off tomorrow. Um, so I don't mind just hanging out and taking some time to do this. So on and so forth. Basically, I watch movies. I watch movies, eat food, study, uh, go to work, and and there you have it. And I'm letting you have it, knowing about my like mundane life. Did you, do you have a busy schedule and can't do everything you'd like to do? Oh yeah, really? Okay, cool. Then you and me can basically just relate about this situation. Long story short, yes, doing a lot of films. It's my one outlet. It's easy to fit in with everything else, as you can imagine. <clears throat> All right, cool. Uh, top of the docket, Existence. 1999, directed by David Cronenberg. Uh, watched this one yesterday. My review is just quoting a line. The line is, I mean, all games can be paused, right? Which is what Jude Law says um, during a particular scene. Uh, this movie is so tight. <laughs> so this is a top four movie for me. Uh, I give it five full stars and five bags of popcorn. It's really good. Uh, Cronenberg has written a lot of good movies, obviously directed tons of good movies. Uh, some people say Videodrome is his best. He wrote and directed that. I think it's his second best. He wrote and directed Existence, and I believe it's the number one Kroberg. Uh, this film is basically about um, a virtual reality video game that's so realistic you can't tell whether you're in the game or out of the game. The game's communicated or accessed through these pods these, that are kind of like gelatinous little blob homies, and you plug umbilical, like shit that literally looks like an umbilical cord uh, into the pod, and then the other end of the umbilical cord goes into a bio port which is installed at the base of your spine and it's pretty it's pretty gnarly uh the end of the film, it's one of the somatic films is how I like to refer to them, but basically movies where you watch them and you feel pretty weird about life and just like the nature of having a body and touching things after you're done with the film. Enter the Void is like that also because it's, you know, all from the first person perspective. But anyway, in Existence, homies get fucking turned up. Immediately, immediately there's a bunch of violences. Like one of the game developers is assaulted by radical reality only, um, 
terrorist freaks. And so basically the rest of the movie is a chase. Yeah, I mean, all games can be paused, right? Is Jude Law is in a game and he uh, turns to Jennifer Jason Lee and he's just like, I feel very vulnerable. I don't know what my body's doing right now. I just want to get out of the game to make sure my body's okay. <laughs> and she looks at him and she's like, why? And he's just like, I just want to pause the game. All games can be paused, right? And she looks, she looks at him she's like, sure. And then Jude Law stands up and just screams at the top of his lungs in the middle of this restaurant. And she just goes, Existence is pause! And then just falls down. He passes out in the game world and wakes up in, quote unquote, the real world. But there's so many layers of uh, virtual reality and fantasy and reality in this movie that it's really hard to tell exactly what's happening. Um, he does go from one state to another. Anyway, that game can be paused. Uh, pretty profound. All right, so on to the next movie. Um, got Angel Heart, 1987. I watched this a couple days ago. My review for it is, no matter how hard you run, no matter how hard you try, <laughs> the saxophone will follow you wherever you go. And sooner or later, it's gonna get you. Um, mostly because this movie has just incredible blazing face burn, you know, uh, singe off your eyebrows level sax uh, coursing through the entirety of its soundtrack and uh, also of course in this film Mickey Rourke perhaps one of the best Rourkes um, of them all uh, just behind Rumblefish I'd say uh, Rourke is running he's a running Rourke uh, he is running he's a private eye um, he's been hired by Robert De Niro who ex you know appears to be an eccentric millionaire but is just clearly the devil just very obviously the devil uh and he's got rourke running around looking for this guy um fucking rourke is not finding the guy but lots of people are for sure getting killed in the process of rourke looking around and so yeah it's one of those things where uh it's just so so completely flowed out and rourke is glistening he's sweating bullets the entire time it's absurd and he uh is really upset with everybody he's cracking wise just constantly it's also really weird and neurotic um <laughs> there's a part where he goes to new orleans and he's interacting with local cops there because they're like hey rourke your shit gets so fucked up all the time what the fuck's going on you're brutal and rourke is like oh, all right you fucking small time weirdo south cops like what do you want from me i got things to do god damn it at one point and you know of course the cops there's like one huge fat you know tough tough as nails detective who's just like real cynical and then there's just the trainee kid who's super credulous and at one point Rourke just looks at the trainee kid and said hey you ever watch the Mickey Mouse Club because <laughs> you know what today is you know what today is today's Wednesday it's anything that can happen day <laughs> which which is like a topical reference to like the Mickey Mouse Club in the 50s did have themes for each day of the week for the show. And Wednesday was anything can happen day. But like, why and why the fuck would Rourke bring that up? He's just such a weirdo. His character is hilarious. Um, another huge thing with his character is that he is constantly saying, I have a thing about chickens. Like, we never find out what the thing is. He just fucking hates chickens. Chickens are brutal to him, and they, they make him sad. So constantly, if, a ch if anything related to a chicken comes up, if people talk about chickens, if chickens are around, you know, Rourke can stand next to them and sort of be like, Ugh, God, or he can, like, trip over them and be like, oh, God. But it, it never materializes. Maybe there's a thematic significance 
significance, I don't know. I, I think it's unlikely. I just think it's one of the details about this movie that makes it so tight. <laughs> um, I, there is a part, like, towards the end where Rourke is experiencing maximum brutality and, like, you know, absolutely getting just his shit fucked and he's just, like, running. He, it's, he ends up having to bust through this barn in a giant room full of chickens. And it's supposed to be like, oh, God, he's at his lowest point. It's incredible. And there's a scene where... Um, uh, he's talking to the devil, Robert De Niro, who has like hired him, like recapping, you know, where he's at in the job. And fucking Robert De Niro has a hard boiled egg and he's looking at the egg and he looks at Rourke and De Niro's just like, you know, some religions think that the egg is a symbol of the soul. Did you know that? And Rourke is just like, nah, I didn't know that because he's a fucking, he's super, you know, he's super cool. <laughs> And, uh, you know, De Niro as the devil is like, would you like an egg? And yeah, Rourke's just like, no, thanks. I got a thing about chickens, you know, for the millionth time. And then De Niro takes a bite out of this egg and gives him this fucking look like I am the devil and I'm eating an egg. It's hard to, it's hard to explain. Yeah, there's, you know, De Niro's character's name is Louis Cipher, uh, right? And, um fucking Rourke keeps calling him Louis Safieri or I, I think that's it uh, and then finally he fucking puts two and two together and he's like oh Louis Cypher Lucifer and then yeah R Rourke's line for that is even your name is a dime store joke so fucking somebodyville USA completely ridiculous okay on to the next movie speaking of somebodyville USA uh, Tombstone 1993 I watched this movie uh, on the 4th what was that uh, last weekend uh, am I dying um my review for it is everybody is a somebody in Tombstone because fucking that's exactly right. Uh, all of the most amazing uh, 90s actors are in this movie. You know, um, probably the best being Val Kilmer. Uh, he's like glistening, like glistening. He plays Doc Holliday and supposedly he has consumption. So he's sick the whole time. He's got some kind of fever. He's dying, whatever. He's constantly dying. He's super drunk. Um, he's still really good at shooting folks. He, he blasts homies like front to back from beginning to end of the movie. Uh, but he is absolutely wet as fuck. And there are some close-ups of his grill where you can see every single chit and the sweat pours out of every chit as um, <laughs> as Kilmer says something, you know, in a real, like, slick, cultured way. His accent is, like, really hard to understand. Kurt Russell has a huge mustache. Like, just Google Kurt Russell Tombstone. He's playing Wyatt Earp, I guess, but, like, this movie is so, um, so blown out. It's not like a... It, I, the history is just a pretext for, like, an unbelievable cavalcade of somebody's... Um, you know, front to back. It's a little long. Uh, this movie definitely took way longer than I thought it should. Um, I rated it three stars, which is a nice medium enjoyable, but I don't think I'm going to be going to back to watch Tombstone again unless I'm real zooted with the boys. Um, Angel Heart, by the way, got four stars, which is what I usually rate things that are really, really strong. Good movies, movies that I'm going to watch, going to want to watch again at some point. <laughs> and then just to break it down, four and a half would be like supremo level films that like I will continue to go back to later in life. And that's one of the most important things about movies to me is like the num number of times I can watch them. And 
and whether I can watch them um, even though I remember what happens. Um, and so for five-star films, I can watch them an endless number of times. Um, doesn't matter if I watched it last week. Um, you know, I usually don't do that. You know, I, obviously I want to w- watch some new shit, but like, you know, movies like Blade Runner, Existence, um, <clears throat> I don't know, Children of Men, American Psycho. I mean, there are a lot of other movies I really like, you know, um, that aren't as broed out. Chunking Express, but like just movies that are just like b- front to back, you can watch them, study them, live in them, uh, feel them and um get something different from them the older you are blah 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 tombstone's a three (laughs) tombstone is not something i'll be watching in in 20 years uh and uh experiencing new levels of emotional insight based on my uh additional life experience um the next movie is a two and a half so even less um this movie is mcbain 1991 directed by glickenhouse the glick man um this movie sucks okay this movie is garbage but it, it the the intriguing thing about it okay so there's there's the schlocky kind of exploitation insanity going on in the film (laughs) Uh, it starts out like in this pow camp and there's this huge crazy um you know blown out rescue scene while uh okay it's christopher walken okay so he's the main character that's the reason why this movie is a big deal and so glickenhouse is just loves to have these schlocky trashy fucking set pieces um you know early nine late 80s early 90s just like you know unbelievably over the top explosions guns shooting everywhere everything blows up you know really really exaggerated like strongmen characters with their shirts off glistening fighting each other dictators you know just like hordes of soldiers like a lot of obviously like low-key um orientalism racism just like basically elevating everything to the level of a really vivid archetype and then obviously everything crashes together and blows up i mean that's the nature of exploitation cinema um this movie sucks though it's terrible it's long it's i hated it but there are certain scenes that um where walk-in comes through and blows out the screen as a whole walk-in um i would my review for this movie is just google walk-in's woodstock monologue instead because the best speech that he does is on youtube it's called the woodstock monologue Walken's Woodstock monologue and basically Christopher Walken apropos of nothing just describes this experience of being young and going to Woodstock um and he you know he starts it off with like I went to this uh festival when I was very young it was three days it was out in the field Woodstock uh and then he just talks about um he just describes it he's just like there was a terrible backup on the highway took us three days to get there um my walking's pretty bad also i'm not quoting it correctly but uh uh, just go you go google that and don't watch mcbain unless you're a hardcore schlock fan uh next movie uh the grifters 1990 uh in case you are noticing something i watch a lot of 80s and 90s cinema um partially because i'm from the north end and just a good uh suburban boy um partially because i'm old uh so to speak you know clocking in at 32 coming up on 33 pretty close here so the 90s are really my year 99 when existence came out five star movie that that was really my year that's also when the matrix came out another five star movie ship it okay but anyway the grifters 1990 this one is um you know this one's okay uh this says john cusack um and uh, Angelica Houston um, and Annette Benning as three, it's kind of like this weird triangle of, they're grifters, literally. So they're like, John Cusack is small time, so he's the type of dude who is grift. 
is Griff just walking up to the bar and holding out a 20 and being like, can I get a beer? Uh, and then by the by the time the bartender gets back, they turn their back to get the beer or something. He switches out the 20 for a 10. And then the bartender takes the 10 and then gives him change for the 20 because I guess that grift works. Uh, I can't fucking imagine ever working a job where someone hands me a 10 and I think it's a 20, even if I fucking thought it was a 20 earlier. You'd have to be super fucked off. But anyway, that's like the weird shit that John Cusack does. And then his mom is uh, like beholden to some big mobster guy and she basically goes to the racetrack and runs this grift that I don't even understand and then Annette Benning falls in love with Joan Cusack and um, she has like this really crazy <laughs> Uh, I don't know if this is on YouTube anywhere, but there's a sequence where Annette Benning describes her grift, which is basically she takes stupid Texas oil men and brings them to this fake investment firm and introduces them to the like the head honcho con man who's posing as this like investment guy. Uh, and basically they they rope the Texan in to investing in like you know computer centers or some shit because you know it's the early 90s. And then they um, <laughs> they devise a variety of scenarios to uh, put the Texans in compromising positions, including. <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene where like they're having a huge party and then like supposedly someone comes in and is robbing them all and it just blows it at bending away although of course it's like all it's the guns are fake and she's like wearing squibs or whatever and so she you know gets blown away and blood goes everywhere and she's just like dying and she jumps in the texan's arms and the texan's just like oh my god holy shit and he's you know so freaked out and everyone's like screaming and they're like save her save her and the texan is just his mouth is agape his face blubbering his chits sweating just being so texan and then um blackmail him and blah 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 anyway it's um it's not a very tonally consistent movie and it's actually super dark and mega mega depressing like the ending is a tremendous bummer um you know there's there's humor but then there's a lot of like kind of pretty legit drama i would say the acting is is good um but at the end of the day um everybody loses it's completely fucking miserable like there's not a lot of mystery um it's just basically these people are brutal and they're kind of fun but then their lives are legitimately depressing grifting and being a con person i mean it's obviously bleak so uh this movie confirms that um yeah three stars i would not watch this again it's very strange very strange film uh all right moving on um bad times at the el royale 2018 um this was about a week week and a half ago uh two stars this movie sucks ass um i should have watched another movie from the 90s my review for this movie was hateful eight for theater kids because that's exactly what this is if you enjoyed hateful eight but you thought you know what i want this to be cornier uh slow even slower uh even more boring um all the edge taken off, all the the edges smoothed and rounded and, you know, looking good and um, just like triple to quadruple the level of contrivance, then you want to watch Bad Times at the El Royale. Um, there are occasionally like kind of intriguing things that happen in this movie. About 20 minutes in, uh, this something about this hotel that all these people are staying at is revealed. Uh, that's kind of interesting, but the movie just never capitalizes on it and then melts down into this just like really egregiously stupid hostile situation um and i just don't recommend that you watch it there's a couple good performances john ham is like completely fucking blown 
out as uh, this like uh, like a fake southern businessman. I don't know. Honestly, this movie sucks. Uh, don't watch it. And goodbye, bad times at the Bad Royale forever. What I'll say is the director, of, I forgot his name, but he also directed um, Bad Times at the El Royale has corrupted my mind and hurt me so badly. Drew Goddard, uh, Cabin in the Woods. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you to me and for you for being p- patient. Cabin in the Woods is a great movie. Um, you know, it's like biting, satirical, well-paced, really fun to look at, fun from a genre point of view. So I don't know what this dude was thinking, um, but he blew it fucking big time. Goodbye. <clears throat> Next movie, two weeks ago, Dead Ringers, 1988. All right, here's another... I mean, I rated this four stars. Maybe it's a four and a half. I mean, this is another Cronenberg. Cronenberg's one of my favorites. I really fuck with Dead Ringers. It's Jeremy Irons playing uh, twins. Uh, The twins are like famous, highly accomplished gynecologists. One of the twins is very charismatic and excellent at schmoozing, marketing, networking, and uh, promoting the brand of the gynecologist twins. Uh, And then uh, the other twin is the one who's super smart, uh, kind of neurotic shut-in who's always studying, working, and making advances. Yeah, you know, uh, Jeremy Irons just completely blows it out of the park. Like, I love Jeremy Irons in general. He's played a lot of really intriguing, (laughs) hilarious characters. He played Klaus von Bülow. Uh, I really, really recommend you look up Jeremy Irons' Klaus von Bülow uh, if you want to see just an incredibly uh, schlocky makeup job. But anyway, um, Dead Ringers is about basically... uh, uh, the twins having a meltdown. Um, basically, the uh, the charismatic twin Elliot uh, sets up his um, brother, obviously Beverly, uh, to sleep with somebody that Elliot had slept with, and you know, hoping that the woman would not be able to notice the difference. And there's just a bunch of shit like that that happens. And basically, one brother gets addicted to drugs, and the other brother gets addicted to drugs, and then the uh, Beverly, and it's just it keeps going in a downward spiral. This movie is the absolute quintessence of the downward spiral so if you want to see some two people take an absolute miserable tumble and then completely bottom out then this is the movie to watch it's really really interesting it's really really well crafted and psychologically complex um and i guess from the research that i've done or things that i've heard anecdotally i guess for people that are actually are identical twins like watching this movie is uh fucking brutal apparently like it's really on point and really captures like one of the um worst most darkest things about having an identical twin or I guess just in general if you have like a really really insanely close connection with another person and you begin to um, this goes beyond co-dependent it's like almost totally undifferentiated psychological um, circumstances Uh, also there's tons of weird body horror shit Um, Beverly invents a bunch of really insane looking tools fabricates them uh, that are supposed to be uh, implements for um, operating on mutant women is like the the um the tagline of the movie more or less that's like what a lot of people take away from this film that's really cronenberg about it the really gross weird bio horror cronenberg shit is like this set of tools so you can google those as well um dead ringers tools you'll see what i'm talking about okay next is conversations with a killer the ted bundy tapes Sure, sure, extremely for sure. I gave this four stars. My review is that I forgot he went to UW because I did. I actually forgot that Ted Bundy went to UW. Dave told me, yeah, yeah, he was in the mix is how he described it. Uh, so super fucked off, mega fucked off. Lots of things I did not know about Bundy in this documentary. Um, you know, it was on Netflix. It was a big Netflix to do so. Probably you or someone you know has, have watched this. 
um, has watched this. So, I mean, whatever. Uh, fuck with it if you're interested in Bundy. I mean, you know, I just, there was so many things I didn't know and hadn't seen and could not believe that there's footage of it. And uh, by far, to me, the most insane thing is the trial. Uh, that's in the fourth episode. And, you know, it's the trial, it's the murder trial where he uh, is convicted and sentenced to death. Um, hopefully this wasn't spoilers for you, but um, this trial is fucking insane. They televised and recorded the whole thing. And Bundy is just like completely fucked off. He's just like, I I will be representing myself, motherfucker. He just is constantly browbeating his counsel and uh, kicking them out, interrupting them, and doing things his way. And his way is mega brutal. Like, he... Um the off the bat he's cross-examining the police officer who discovered the crime scene where um bundy had like uh attacked a bunch of he had killed two women and injured very badly injured two others i think it was a sorority or a dorm but anyway the police officer who showed up who found you know found the scene and began the report uh bundy's cross-examining him in the courtroom and for and it's so crazy all bundy does is just like hey can you so you can you describe what it looks like describe the scene describe the nature of the injuries for this victim okay now do the same for this victim and he's just going on and on and on and the officer is just like describing the the most brutal horrible details and the the jury is just like aghast they just can't believe it and then bundy gets him to report every detail that the officer found and then bundy's like okay so now can we take it from the top again can we go over the details again and like his his co-counsel is looking at is in an interview is just like i could not fucking believe what this guy was doing he was absolutely emphasizing the worst parts of the of the crime scene uh just horrifying everybody and obviously bundy was bragging just a really flagrant just fucking monstrous piece of shit um you know among other things that happened in the trial bundy uh gets like a character witness which is this woman who is like obsessed with him and you know wants to be his girlfriend and uh actually is his girlfriend and then she's on the stand and bundy proposes to her and they get married in the you know right there they get engaged right in the courtroom uh she later sneaks in uh, to do conjugal visits with him and they end up having a kid this shit is fucking wild i really recommend watching it um for the most part the people they interview uh are super super on point super fascinating and interesting four stars for bundy all right moving on um fifth annual on cinema oscar special 2018 um, I'm not going to go too far into this, except I gave it five stars. On Cinema at the Cinema, I think, is the most important comedy project of the 2010s. Like, I think by this time next year, looking back, uh, I think it will be very clear that, yeah, it's Tim Heidecker, Greg Turkington. They are, they have created, like, the most interesting, long-running, like, comedic universe. The premise is basically that the two of them have this kind of bad movie review show. You know, not unlike the bad movie review show you're listening listening to right now um and they um bicker and fight and it's kind of like roger and ebert jesus roger and ebert siskel and ebert it's just an incredible dynamic between tim who is like a narcissist and then greg who is like a completely degenerate like vhs you know oscar picks are the most important like um it's really hard to describe the exact nerve that greg hits as like this quote-unquote film buff but it is 
it hits so close to home for me coming up in like the early 90s seeing Siskel and Ebert and seeing these like these uh this particular era of Hollywood that is completely gone now in my opinion but um yeah it's it, he Greg is the type of guy Greg Turking is the type of guy who would hang out at Blockbuster all fucking day talking to the employees at Blockbuster and renting VHS tapes uh very important powerful type of brain so the on cinema Oscar specials are like these 2 hour um extravaganzas where um you know because it's kind of an ironic comedic pretext but it's so dialed in and everything that happens is so extreme and everything is so perfectly fucked off in just the correct way um and there's going to be a sixth um oscar special you know coming up soon um so i just wrote for my review i can't wait to see what they come up with for 2019 on cinema at the cinema if you've never seen it there's actually there's so much content out there you can go on youtube and search on cinema 12 hours of on cinema at the cinema and it will literally be 12 hours of continuous content of all this all the seasons that have been posted and it's fucking amazing and it's absolutely worth watching every single minute of that video i have and will again for sure i guarantee it all right uh so going from one of my very favorite things to one of the most brutal things in the history of the universe uh so to speak you know excluding like um all the instances of mass genocide but from a uh psychological point of view surviving r kelly 2019 uh was something i watched a couple weeks ago uh my review uh i gave it four stars it's incredibly well produced um and and creepy and gives you that fucking gnarly feeling every moment of the way that like something absolutely terrible has is and is continuing to take place um my review is i didn't know a lot of this stuff and it's just about the most insane hidden in plate situation hidden in plain sight situation i've ever seen which is so i'm not a big r kelly fan like to be honest like i can't even think of my favorite r kelly song i've always thought he was just kind of overstated and corny and um and overrated honestly i mean i guess you know i don't even like the ignition remix i guess i believe i can fly i legitimately do enjoy that song i i sing that song every once in a while and i remember it when it came out as a kid ironic topic i believe i can fly fly i see myself running through that open door i think a lot of the women that um and girls actually legitimately i should say a lot of the girls that uh r kelly um has browbeat and mentally manipulated to the point where they're just sitting around in rooms in his house or or even his studio isolated unable to leave the room without approval from him um unable to eat unless he feeds them uh and so on and so forth i bet they would love to fucking see themselves running through that open door and getting away from him he is fucked off r kelly is a terrible person i re really recommend watching this documentary um there are things in it that are that are straight up heartbreaking like there because there are um many many survivors like women who survived r kelly basically um and describe their experiences and you know they're just incredibly painful and there is one time there's one towards the end of the series um one woman returns because r kelly had this mansion um but he's so fucked off and insane and declining in popularity and like you know obviously he's been living this uh, this terrible life this life of like um harm pain trauma and just you know uh unmitigated uh narcissistic monstrosity that like he his life is is currently falling apart and should completely fall apart after this documentary although it hasn't seemed to have happened yet so that's mega fucked off but anyway um you know uh decades and decades uh, just a campaign a whole life just an expression of hatred uh 
of women and especially girls. And one of the women they go, so the whole point of what I was just saying is trying to emphasize that they go um, to a mansion that he used to own, but had to sell. And this woman who um, was kept there, like many, many other uh, girls were kept there. She was young. Now she's grown up in the documentary. Um, she goes, uh, she, she walks up to the door that used to be the room where she was kept. And she said, I just don't want to go in there. And then they take her over to this other room, which just looks like a normal second story living room. But she looks around and she was like, it didn't, it didn't look like this when he owned the house. This was called the black room. The, every, all the sh- everything was black. All the windows were blacked out. And she just goes on to describe like the feeling of being in that room. And it's one of the scariest. It's fucking incredibly scary. It's bone chilling is how I would describe what she says. So um, I really recommend watching this. Uh, never listen to another R. Kelly song for the rest of my life. Never DJ one out. Um, never watch R. Kelly or talk about R. Kelly without bringing this up. Um, wow, cool. That was really relaxed. All right. Um, next movie, uh, Hackers, 1995. Four and a half stars, absolutely, for sure. The review I wrote is You're in the Butter Zone Now, Baby, which is so when you watch a movie you truly love and is truly, truly deep in your soul, like one of the purest expressions of who you are as a person, uh, which for me, Hackers is absolutely that, you will be rewarded by continuously rewatching it. Uh, as I stated earlier, that is the highest value for me as a mo- for a movie. Um, little details will constantly stick out to you upon rewatching that will further confirm everything about the movie um, and why it's so effective. Uh, the Big Lebowski is another really good example of this. You know, I know it's really bro- broed out in like a dorm room movie or whatever, but uh, that is honestly, that could be the best Coen Brothers movie. It's hard to say. There's a lot up there, but um, Big Lebowski is a movie where you can watch it and literally every time you watch it, there's a new detail that, that cements the, uh, the, the meaning of the moment at which it arises, but also the, the nature of the movie throughout. I've never not watched that. I've seen that movie 20, 25 times and I've probably more. Anyway, Hackers is another movie like that. You're in the Butter Zone Now, Baby is <laughs> the amazing, an amazing quote from one of the hackers uh he says it it's lord nikon he says it to angelina jolie about her new laptop uh and god someday i hope someone looks at a piece of <laughs> equipment that i've recently purchased and looks at me and says you're in the butter zone now baby and i'm gonna honestly be telling a lot of people that they're in the butter zone um and uh hopefully you as a listener feel that you baby are now in the butter zone too um given that this is my first solo pod and i'm talking about films and a lot of it's from the 90s and some of it in involves like uh extreme psychological sexual abuse and and serial killers anyway you really gotta fuck with hackers it's just strictly a you must fuck with it type of movie um it's the quintessential big beat movie so tons of prodigy tons of amazing mid-90s electronica that that simply must be heard uh a lot of the songs in the soundtrack give me goosebumps um there's lots of amazing lines incredible uh like footage meant to represent hacking that obviously doesn't represent it at all um you know there's <laughs> the uh the the hackers have these you know completely just bricked out laptops obviously because it's 95 the laptops are so fucking thick and plastic and bricked out it's it's 
looks gorgeous. And they um, hack using these really ridiculous, um, you know, graphical user interfaces when, you know, like the vast majority, if not all of hacking takes place in a command line. But the, the, the graphics are just fucking amazing. Aesthetically, this is the film. This is it. Don't watch any more movies. <laughs> Don't talk about the internet with having seen this film. Don't ever come up to me and talk about hacking the internet, networking, IT, cybersecurity, or any other topic related to the internet just don't unless you've seen hackers all right thanks next movie uh roma 2018 came out you know very recently but technically a 2018 film i saw this three weeks ago at the crest which um if you haven't been to the crest it's in the north end of seattle as all good things are just off the 175th exit if you're heading north on i-5 right near the shoreline king county library right in the heart of shoreline uh where my heart resides um the Crest is a $4 uh, second-run theater. It's so important that you go there at least once of your life if you're in the Seattle area. It's a true original. I've seen many, many, many movies there. Um, I've gone to many movies by myself there. That's the place to do it. If you really fuck with that like I do, you should do it. Uh, and yeah, so Alfonso Cuaron is one of my favorite directors. I mean, he may... Sometimes I just get around to thinking that he may be the most powerful uh, living director. And Roma is a great example of that. I mean, Children of Men is like, yeah, it's one of my top top four movies of all time. And it's... Um, I think it's one of the... I think it's the only true sci-fi movie or like dystopian future movie. It's it's the, one of the truest movies I've ever seen. And the, the reality of the film um, is extremely, uh, extremely just grips the shit out of your heart and squeezes your heart like a good zoot would. Um, <laughs> and Roma is not quite that impactful. I gave Roma four stars, uh, but Roma is really, really good. And Roma is one of those movies that, um, first of all, it's worth seeing on a big screen, but it's also, um, you know, even if you watch it on a small screen, like, uh, yeah, it's a different experience and whatever, but um, you just got to rewatch it. And you, the, the big screen gives you insight into everything that's happening in the background. Honestly, the plot and characters in this, although there are just like, you know, an, an incredible amount of up-close psychological realism um, and, and really carefully constructed intimate moments that explain and broadcast like so much beneath the surface, which any good, you know, really well-crafted a drama is going to do and in Roma it happens it's happening all the time there's shit tons of stuff happening in the background of this movie and it's almost like the characters are a foregrounding uh for the fact that this movie is just like about the world or certainly about the city and the big screen you can see thousands of people like living their lives in the background in like really specific and well thought out ways in terms of how it's interacting with the frame and you know reinforcing what any given uh character protagonist or otherwise is doing um but uh you know also the, it's this is a really strange movie filled with like weird little ticks and odd uh details visual details and uh, certain lines that characters say that kind of gloss over you because the movie is like proceeding you know normally in a, in a realistic fashion but upon recollection like everything seems exceedingly strange there's just like this really bizarre scene uh where this guy dressed up as like a pro wrestler who's really famous is giving this lecture to a bunch of um i think it's kenpo um there's just like hundreds of men in this giant field watching this guy uh in this kind of military fashion give an address where the guy <laughs> says i'm now about to work work a miracle and basically he puts his hands on 
on top of his head and then like forms like a triangle with I, I'm really bad at explaining exactly what happens but he does this physically unremarkable feat but no one else none, none of the trainees is able seems to be able to replicate it I mean there's just things like that where um, it just it's it kind of transcends the realism of um, the, the the milieu of the film and kind of takes it into this kind of weird um, I guess I would say spiritual but kind of like peeks over to the other side i'm just i've been rambling about roma way too fucking much but uh i highly recommend this movie tons of things in this movie will stick with you and you will remember them um events but also just spaces and shots and certain things uh and honestly when i finished the movie uh i was not completely blown away and as the days went by i realized that like truly it's a truly something special all right let me do a couple more of these you've been really patient and loving as an audience and i hope you enjoy movies I hope you've seen one or two of these movies. If you haven't, you know, the ones that I recommend, I think you'll probably enjoy. I wouldn't say I have really idiosyncratic movie tastes. Like, I'm not a super unique film goer by any means. Like, a lot of my favorite things are just the kind of same classic suburban bro things that we all like um, when we're alt, when we're a little alt bro. Um, because I'm just a little tiny alt bro. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I got nothing to add to that. Okay, Rumblefish, 1983. So this is a... F- Big time five stars. My review is you've only got 35 summers left. Think about that. 35 summers. Because that's a that's a line that Tom Waits has. He's like a aging um, billiard hall, like bartender owner. And he's just like obviously muttering to himself in Tom Waits' voice, uh, this existential reflection on the passage of time. Because Rumblefish is honestly a very existential movie. And it's very um, funny. Uh, it's, you know, it's ostensibly just like this kind of, 50s uh youth gang ruffian kind of story where matt Dillon is uh like the younger brother of mickey rourke again the strong glistening rourke that we've all come to love and know and matt Dillon is constantly trying to prove himself and it's sort of like a coming of age or day in the life story of this uh kid and um he's confused and violent and ignorant and like self-absorbed and uh but also kind of genuine naively genuine and rourke eventually does come back and he's this like broken um you know legend or someone refers to him as royalty in exile and there's just it's just this non-stop if you've ever seen wings of desire if you're a vim vendors fan um and you liked wings of desire but you want to see kind of a um like a like a homied out version <laughs> of wings of desire that's exactly what this movie is it's a homied out version of wings of desire i movie is tight watch them back to back and see what you think but you know yeah rumblefish is somewhat abstract definitely meandering doesn't have like a huge plot i would say um and honestly movies that have tons of tone and kind of uh reflective screenwriting and no plot um you know and it's all about like a a vibe and a and a texture and you know like reflections of a theme through multiple angles um looking inward you know prismatic shall we say as opposed to like just a um um you know a linear plot that like is the the dramatic engine that keeps you engaged like i'm i'm much more interested in like oh god you get what i mean anyway um Rumblefish is that and i highly recommend the soundtrack is goofy it's uh the exact type of goofiness that you want out of a soundtrack that's emphasizing a serious subject while also being really playful and weird. Um, it's super fucking, it's super mid eighties. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. And, um, five bags of popcorn and five, five cups of soda and one 
a small toy that is a Harley Davidson motorcycle. They feature prominently in the film. Okay, next one. Um, I actually watched this movie while I was in uh, Japan um, just because so many people on Twitter were talking about it, and this is really embarrassing for me to admit, but yeah, Bird Box. I watched it, 2018. This movie sucks. This movie sucks ass. Sandra Bullock hurts me. She's so fucking hurtful. Uh, She was the uh, protagonist, lead actor in um, Gravity, which was Alfonso Cuarón's um, movie that he made. Um, I don't think he made anything small in between Roma and Gravity, but Gravity went so poorly, was so hard to make, and was such a piece of shit that Alfonso Cuarón was like, I don't know about movie making. I don't think I ever want to fuck with it again. And uh, Sandra Bullock is responsible for ruining my favorite director's life. Anyway, uh, no, she actually isn't, but she sucks. Uh, this this movie is um, bad. It's a bad pastiche of a billion other good horror movies, um, and I really have absolutely no respect for anybody that fucks with this movie in a legitimate way. Uh, I guess I can understand if you watched it and it was like, you know, you just wanted a goofball horror movie and you watched it and you were like, okay, cool. Um, you know, that would be scary if I had to deal with that situation. Basically, there's a monster where if you look at it, it makes you kill yourself. Of course, the monsters, we never see it. We see it like off screen or maybe there's like some wind blowing where it shouldn't be or there's like a rippling effect, but there's just, you know, you never see the monster. Basically, people look at something off screen and then their eyes turn red and they kill themselves. So, um, it sucks. This movie is as bad as Signs. This is like watching Signs. I would rather watch Signs, honestly. Um, I'd rather watch The Signs. I'd rather watch The Road. I'd rather watch Night of the Living Dead. And I'd rather watch War of the Worlds from 2005 with Tom Cruise, which this movie is a combination of all four. Goodbye, Bird Box. This movie is garbage. Um, It really hurts me that it had so much traction on social media. This is just the thing about Netflix. Netflix will put something in front of everybody, um, you know, usually typically original content, and everybody watches it and talks about it. And that doesn't mean that it's good. It just means that everybody uses Netflix. Is that a problem? No, probably not. I'm brutal, personally. That's probably the problem. Anyway, um, two more movies. Devil in a Blue Dress. Three more movies. Devil in a Blue Dress, 1995. Another nice little 90s film. This is an adaptation of a really good uh, novel. You know, um, I definitely think that if you are interested in like seeing Denzel Washington, Tom Sizemore, and Don Cheadle act in like a um, like a noir with a private detective named Easy Rollins in 1940s Los Angeles, then baby, fuck with this film. It's not not a masterpiece. I gave it two and a half stars, but um, like I probably won't check it out again. Uh, it's not better than like LA Confidential, I don't think, but um, Don Cheadle is fucking on fire in this film. If you like Don Cheadle, just Google Devil in a Blue Dress Don Cheadle. See if there's any super cuts on YouTube. He is like amazing. He's a super charismatic, super violent, gunslinging psycho. Ah, I wish. John Cheadle's probably, Don Cheadle's probably too old to to do this now, but um, if he could play another character like this, it would make me so happy. Uh, Denzel is just classic Denzel. He's doing the same thing he always does. He's not that interesting. And the movie kind of goes in circles. Sometimes that can be really, really really fun. Um, and sometimes it can be boring and this one's a little boring. Um, all right. Last couple of movies I watched, I'll just run through them. L Storm. Um, that's a Hong Kong, 
financial crime thriller series. This is the third one. It wasn't that good. I think it's actually they're kind of declining, unfortunately. Venom, which you absolutely need to fuck with. Uh, if you enjoyed The Mask with Jim Carrey, uh, Venom is basically The Mask, but with Tom Hardy. The Tom Hardy version of The Mask. And um, it's very important for you to watch. Uh, actually, okay, I'm going to end on that note. Uh, I'll be able to do this again at some point if you're at all interested. If you're not interested, then rate the podcast a zero. Uh, rate me a zero. Personally, zero me out. Write a bad review on iTunes. Find me on social media. Tell me I'm <laughs> mega brutal die god. I'm hurtful and I'm harmful and I've traumatized you. Um, and I won't do it again because I don't want to be like that. You know, I just had to do a solo pod because I'm snowed in. None of the homies are around. I'm in grad school and uh, I'm fammed out. I'm completely fammed out. Thanks for listening. And I think I should be back next week with an episode with Dave. That's the plan for me and Dave to be with each other and for him to be with us and for him to be with him and also with Dave. So we'll see what happens. Uh, And until then, stay homied out and ship it.